Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the microphone with thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. My name is David Asker, and I'm here with my co-host, Teresa Broderick. We are from EY's corporate real estate consulting practice, where we help occupiers of real estate plan and use their space more effectively. Throughout the year, Teresa and I will bring you a series of podcasts discussing the challenges facing real estate occupiers. That's right, David. Coming up yet this year, we'll address the evolving corporate real estate team and data in the decision-making process. But our focus today is looking at real estate within the structure of M&A activity. We have two guests with us today, Michael Galahowski and Nicholas Tatro. Welcome. Michael and Nick, could each of you take a minute to introduce yourself? We can start with Michael. David and Teresa, thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. It's a pleasure to be with you and excited to cover this topic today. Michael Golahowski, I'm a partner in the corporate real estate practice. We sit within strategy and transactions. I'm actually the EY America's S&T corporate real estate transaction services solution leader, which is a mouthful from EY. I assist clients in multiple sectors with actionable advice in transformational transactions on both the buy side and sell side. We work within diligence, carve out, sell and separate, buy and integrate, things like tax-free spins and integrations all across the value chain within M&A and transaction activity. Nick Tatro, I'm a senior manager in EY's corporate real estate practice, sitting in strategy in transactions. I've worked with Michael for the past five or six years. You start to lose count as they fly by. But I really started my career focused on portfolio optimization, real estate optimization, and that evolved into the M&A world once coming over to EY. So really looking at site separation strategies, optimizing as you go, and working in the trenches with clients to separate their real estate and set up their future companies for success. Also dabble a little bit in real estate governance structures, processes, and everything's really data-driven in the work that we do. So pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Great. Thanks, Michael and Nick. In this podcast, we've outlined a few things to explore. First being how opportunities are missed when real estate is overlooked in the early stages of a deal. Second, steps that lead to an equitable outcome for both sides. And lastly, the importance of establishing guiding principles that inform the deal process from beginning to post-close optimization. So, you know, what I've learned working with both of you is that companies often fall short in the real estate analysis they conduct during M&A and divestitures, which can result in missed value creation opportunities. So analyzing real estate synergy and separation costs early can help buyers and sellers identify and learn more about these opportunities, which ultimately leads to a better outcome for both sides. So I'd love to hear more. David, why don't you start us off? We have a few structured questions and looking forward to some conversation as well. Sure. Thanks, Teresa. Real estate analysis, as you said, can be valuable at all points. Nick, could you take us through some of the key points in the transaction process? Sure, David. Really, there's four that we're looking at holistically. The targeting process, then there's support during negotiations. The third is before closing. And the fourth is after day one, after the companies have separated or after 
an acquisition is completed. If we start with number one, the targeting process, even before data is shared from a seller to a buyer, the buyer can really benefit from understanding potential trapped real estate value that may not be considered. I think it's important when you're thinking of the overall transaction process to know that it starts very high level, almost from an outside in perspective, when you're looking at the value of these deals and really doing the double click on that is something that we do on a regular basis. And number two, during negotiations, real estate guidance is really valuable before the deal is finalized. When both parties are negotiating and sharing information, the information is usually flawed. It's usually from a very high level point of view and there are details that can be missed. So having real estate advisors discover and analyze more accurate cost information, isolate risks and explore more opportunities that may have been missed is extremely valuable, not only for real estate and setting up real estate for success in the future, but for the future of both companies after day one. And the third is before closing. So value creation and risk mitigation in general, such as reducing facility management costs, can be modeled preliminarily and sometimes even executed before the deal is finalized. This is true with spins, tax-free spinoffs, when a company is divesting a business unit and there's no third-party buyer. And I think a really important tenant that all transactions that I've worked on, a key tenant is speed to separate. So often companies are focused on executing the transaction, there is a lot of optimization that's missed or opportunities that could be enacted upon throughout that transaction process. And fourth, last but not least, is after day one. This is commonly when CRE advisors are used, but unfortunately when the value opportunity is also the lowest. It's akin to building a house and not bringing in heating, ventilation, or air conditioning, or HVAC professionals until the house is nearly complete. So typically you want to be bringing in real estate expertise early and often so that the most amount of value can be extracted. And too often we see advisors or even real estate professionals within the companies just being brought in much later in the process than we typically like to see. You know, Nick, with real estate having such a great value, how do we work with clients in order to integrate these strategies earlier into the conversation when we're negotiating? Typically, what has worked for us is really engaging at the top leadership levels and making sure that there is an awareness on the value that real estate can bring and making sure that real estate is a part of the program as a whole. Just like IT and HR and finance are really important functions and are brought in very early into the deal process, real estate needs to be one of those that's considered early and often, especially when you're talking about meeting synergy targets and optimizing the future of the company. And Michael, how does bringing in real estate early uh, into the process set the tone for the rest of the negotiation? I mean, does that change the outcomes and change the efforts? Yeah, David, thank you for the question. I think anyone listening in the corporate real estate or real estate space, or frankly, if you're just in the M&A or divestiture space, it's incumbent on you to raise your hand, go to your BD leaders, talk to folks that you know work on deals in your organization, 
and ask them how you can be involved and tell them, look, real estate is a value lever. It's a major cost in the organization, you know, second or third largest cost. And it needs to be part of a focus both on an optimization level, but certainly in a divestiture scenario, the speed at which you can move can be encumbered by these long pole and the tent items separating real estate or taking the necessary steps to comply with requirements for the deal is something that folks mostly underestimate. If you've ever tried to do anything, even construction in your house, you're always typically blowing through the initial timelines you estimate. Well, this is true in the commercial sense and we see it all the time. So I think engaging in a very professional, serious way with your leaders and suggesting that real estate and real estate professionals in the organization can help drive speed and can be reliable to help the deal get done in an orderly manner. That's how I would address it, David. Yeah, appreciate that. And it seems like a big focus that both of you would have would be to work with our clients in order to make sure that there's an equitable solution between both buyer and seller. It seems like helping to develop the strategy that you're working on with them allows them to make an informed decision on how to allocate facilities and leases and whatnot in a manner that will allow them both to be in a good position post-deal. seems like doing this on paper might be not completely straightforward, but more direct. It seems like there's a lot that would be difficult to achieve given all the different deal constraints. Michael, can you take us through a couple points that we might want to remember if we're going through this type of transaction? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Thank you for the question. We're talking about one side of the ledger here when it comes to deals. I guess to take a step back, why do companies do this? So one, a company, public or not, otherwise needs to grow and their options are to grow organically or inorganically. And so most companies have a very active M&A divestiture type of mindset, especially in the last 10 to 20 years, the large conglomerate companies have taken a hard look at their non-core assets and evaluated those for viability of spinning off or carving out to make those assets drive value in different ways for the company. But certainly some of those assets are worth more as a standalone business. That's essential to business in this macro and micro environment we're currently in. So kind of that's the baseline of understanding why M&A takes place. And then on the divestiture side of things, I'll talk about a few areas that are important. And certainly these have some application on the acquisition side as well. Within the divestiture context, we look at certain things you want to identify the deal perimeter, the entanglement at sites, and you want to do that as quickly and accurately as possible because that charts the course from a facility standpoint on what you need to do along the journey of separation. Real estate is historically, traditionally within an organization, a somewhat fragmented area of the business. The businesses themselves will typically make decisions about what kinds of real estate they need. The corporate real estate group may be more on the side of a reactor, an order taker, and then go out and find the space. And so in the deal context over time, what happens is those sites take on that fragmented network and it's natural to have entangled sites where multiple people, businesses will use the same space. 
So we find it important to do the diligence upfront early in the transaction lifecycle to understand the deal perimeter and understand the implications to operationalize that vision of the transaction. So we will do your early days, buy side, sell side diligence. We'll identify entanglement on a site-by-site basis and then look at both the Remain Co and Spin Co and what their organizational structure will support when considering or contemplating a divestiture of some kind. Gotcha. And so one of the things that I've seen is pretty important in these types of deals is that day one operation. We get the facilities separated in the transaction, but then once we're in day one, how are we going to operate and who's going to be where and and whatnot? Is your team involved in that process too? And are there some key points that you look at in order to make sure that those items are being addressed properly? Day one is critical both on the readiness from a site-by-site separation planning, but then also the organizational side. So in a divestiture setting, you are spinning out a standalone business oftentimes. And so what that means is you're going to probably have to look at who's going to run it and who's going to run the real estate and who's going to run the business. Not many companies are designed and built and put together within a very short, call it 12-month window. And so you have new leadership, you have new visions. And so it's critical that clients think through the change element of change management that's going to occur, that they think about ways to drive decision-making on footprint from ways of working or workplace strategy perspective. So all of those kind of strategic underpinnings need to be evaluated. And then the organization itself has to be stood up and the sites, you know, that site by site actioning has to take place to determine what's best for the enterprise and what's best for the standalone business. Yeah. And I think that really leads us right into our third point that we're talking about today is, you know, how can we establish some guiding principles to ease the stress uh, for both Uh, the sides that are negotiating, but more importantly for the employees that are going to have um, substantial change uh, after this kind of event. Um, And so, you know, one of the things we've seen is that um, a strong and deliberate governance model uh, can facilitate some nimble decision-making and deal progress. Uh, Often the timetable is tight for these type of deals, and so there's uh, a lot of work that needs to be performed in a very tight time frame. Um, And so it seems like a set of mutually agreed upon guiding principles can create a framework uh, for that to happen in order to get these items done quickly and efficiently. And informed decisions are made guiding actions that can bring us closer to an approved deal. So I guess I'd ask some of these questions, you know, what steps can we take to avoid operational disruptions, extra costs and risks, right? So when you're working with teams, um, what do you try to do in order to avoid those um, negative outcomes? Real estate can be such an emotional topic. And in today's environment, the space you work in is changing dramatically. The way you come together in space is important and It always has been, but it's a little more acute and changing, evolving and different today. So I think we want to be mindful of the organization and its needs and the ways it will work. The number one reason that mergers and acquisitions don't work, and most people have heard horror stories about this, is culture. 
culture is the number one reason and form follows function space can be an enabler to that culture and so we play in a really important role here in the context of a deal because we help our companies our enterprises define what that space is going to look like or what it can be and then that helps us bring cultures two cultures three cultures together under one roof oftentimes and those forces smashing together without the real estate professionals guidance help and support just don't work so i think it's critical that we think about culture and how do we use space and we have folks in workplace strategy and workplace strategists on our team or within the client that we always engage with and we think it's critical some of the technologies that they use some of the systems the ways in which it helps enable working together is super important so real estate is fundamental to the success of the deal in that it can help enable the number one reason why these deals sometimes fall apart and that's culture Hey, Nick, um, we've got one more question here as we come to the end. And so, you know, let's talk a little bit about separation and purchase agreements, TSAs. How do those come into play and how can they, how can the timeline for those be minimized, right? I mean, there's lots of times that those last for 18 months or so. Are there ways that um, we can work with clients to help them structure um, how they think about their real estate in order to minimize those timelines? Whenever you're thinking about TSAs, particularly in the environment of a divestiture or a tax-free spin is minimizing the number or volume of those TSAs to preserve the tax-free nature of those spins. They're really an indicator to the outside world on how truly separate are you and how well were you able to separate with the time that you had. So we try and work with our clients to identify what are the really difficult sites to separate? The clients know their portfolio the best. And one of the very first things that we're trying to do is rigorously prioritize which sites are going to be the most complex. And sometimes the timeline for that separation just doesn't match that of the actual transaction. So you need a transitional service agreement or temporary service agreement to buy you enough time to truly and completely separate that particular location. We identify very early on, what are the key complex sites? What are the big hurdles that we need to get started on first? And hopefully by doing that, we can minimize the length or the duration of those TSAs, which can all be impacted by um, higher level guiding principles that are set by the overall program during a transaction. But really, it's just early identification, David, and prioritizing the most complex, difficult sites or difficult processes to separate by day one. Okay, so to recap, the transfer of real estate through M&A activity often involves a lot of moving parts, as we've heard. But it doesn't have to be complicated, especially when you have folks like Michael and Nick to help take you through it. So here's their three key points to keep in mind once again. So first, real estate needs to be part of the M&A conversation from start to finish. Second, set up internal processes and guiding principles to help inform how decisions are made. And three, don't let your efforts be slowed down by poor information. You know, make sure you're identifying some of those risks up front and making those TSAs or transitional agreements, as Nick was pointing out. 
So Michael and Nick, any final thoughts before we close out? Michael, we'll have you go first. Thanks, Teresa. Thanks, David. I think just raise your hand, be active. Real estate is an important, I'd call it a critical component of any deal. We've worked on every major tax-free spin the last 15 years. We've been very active with clients on their major acquisitions and mergers. And time and time again, real estate is put on a back burner. I think to elevate your profession, to elevate corporate real estate, it has to be part of the deal that's talked about early and brought to the attention of the deal makers. And I know that in doing that, we'll be sure that the profession is elevated to the right level and that our enterprises and organizations can be successful in all of their M&A and divestiture activity. So thank you again, and excited to be a part of this and happy to help and guide and serve this community. Awesome, thanks, Michael. Nick? Thanks, Teresa. Thanks, David. I'd add a few things to that. I think in the transactions that we've worked in the past, you're often operating in a challenging environment, ambiguous information, a lot of decisions need to be made in a compressed timeline, and you don't want to let perfect get in the way of great. I think the second closing comment is just be a great router of information. Be a great partner with your other functional leads. Looking back at the transactions that we've done, like Michael mentioned, some of the largest that have ever been completed, the really successful transactions were those where there was a lot of cross-functional coordination, working in the trenches with IT counterparts, finance counterparts, developing that rhythm through the early months of a transaction. It just pays dividends from start to finish, especially if real estate is brought on very early. So in closing, I'd say don't let perfect get in the way of great and just be a really great partner to your other functional colleagues and that will help set you up for success in the long run. Thanks for having me, Teresa, David. Great. Hey, Michael, Nick, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Great insight here. And we look forward to having further discussions with you on another podcast. For our listeners, we look forward to returning next quarter when we discuss the ever-evolving corporate real estate team. Thanks for listening. This concludes this episode of What's Next. Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit cornetglobal.org to learn more.